your work life, your relationships, your money, your health, the meaning of life. Welcome to How to Do Life with Marty Nemco. Hi, I'm Marty Nemco. Um, I'm kind of dreading doing this uh, show today uh, on education because it is so uh, viewed as the magic pill. You know, people who are successful uh, very often attribute it to their education. Uh, I guess as a way of vindicating all their the cost of time and money. Um, and indeed, society views education as the magic pill, our best hope for uh, closing the achievement gap. Although, despite $22 trillion of spending in the last half century, the achievement gap, according to U.S. News, uh, is as wide as ever. Um, and uh, many people, if they're really being honest, when they think about all the time and money that they put in uh, to education, uh, how much they remember, how much it really did make them a better person. Apart from, I mean, we know that the piece of paper is a, you know, is a credential that can open career doors, but it's an awfully long time and uh, big expense to, uh, to simply justify based on the fact that it's a career door opener. I would argue more for uh, uh, employers being a little more circumspect and wise about choosing who they, who they hire rather than relying so much on degrees and uh, whether there's a design or label diploma on the degree. And indeed, studies of, uh, for example, freshman to senior average growth in those critical areas that college is supposed to specialize in, that is critical thinking and writing, shows that uh, over a third made zero growth between freshman and senior year, and 45% made very small growth. Um, uh, a sad state of affairs, and still you stop until you start to think about it. You know, education is uh, uh, dispensed in mass in groups of twenty to thirty in uh, when you uh, through high school, and then often in large lectures. Uh, and whether it's a lecture or it's even interactive discussion with fellow students who you know may not be the fonts of wisdom themselves, uh, it makes sense that. Uh, learning is going to be uh, not that great and that maybe the best hope for for education living up to its promise is uh, uh, individualized one-on-one -on -one tutoring whether through uh, virtual like you know the Khan Academy kind of tutoring or one-on-one -on -one virtually online or in person through uh, uh, just like a match.com but for uh, for mentors and protégés teachers and students but that's, um, that's kind of lofty thinking. I, this show tends to want to focus on the practical. And so I want to talk about what, um, how to make the most of education as it is without having to put in too much effort. Because as I said, that the, the effects of education are not just that great, let alone the effects of school A versus school B or teacher A or school teacher B or whether you do a little more homework or you do a little less homework. It's unlikely to make some huge difference. That said, it probably makes some difference, and uh, if only uh, because people so venerate education, I'm going to share my best thoughts. And this is, um, I feel like I need to uh, establish my bona fides in the area, not to brag, but to, uh, so I have at least a little credibility. My PhD is in, the, in educational psychology, specializing in the evaluation of education, and it is from Berkeley. And I've taught related subjects at a number of universities, including Berkeley. Um, 
and I've written very widely on the, on the subject. So I know, do know a little bit about it. Um, so let's, let's go chronologically. I'm going to start with preschool. Um, most people who are going to be watching this video tend to be not from the multi-generational poor and underclass, but at least working class, if not middle class, if not upper class in terms of socioeconomic status. And for that target audience, which is what I'm going to be focusing on here, because that's who's watching me, um, and listening to me, this is a radio show on, uh, it's broadcast on KSFP, a public radio station in San Francisco. Um, I uh, want to start with what would be the advice I'd give regarding preschool for, for the children of the, my audience here. And that is to avoid the academic preschools. For you, for most of you who are watching this or listening to this, um, the wiser thing to do would be, and the more developmentally and more fun thing to do, would be to choose a preschool not that is academically oriented, but one that is play-oriented. Uh, kids, when they're at preschool, they're not so much into social interaction with each other. They're in a solitary parallel play. But where the teachers are nurturing, they don't have to have the biggest credentials or the fanciest facilities. What counts is the people. Um, I would much rather have my, uh, my child in a, a yucky building with, uh, with good teachers than with yucky teachers in a good building. So don't worry about swing pools and fancy equipment. Kids can make their own play. They do pretend. They fantasize. Uh, what you want is a safe and nurturing environment. Not a lot of yelling, but where there's a lot of one-on-one, -on -one, where there's, a, you know, where there's, especially with young kids, it does help to have, you know, a pretty high teacher-student ratio, but not overly prescripted curriculum, where the kids are allowed to play and explore, and there are opportunities to play and explore, um, and where the children are basically, you know, nice to each other or in parallel play rather than mean. There's always going to be some, but that's what I'd be looking for in, uh, in preschool and childcare. Uh, above all. So now let's turn to uh, the next step, which would be this elementary school. So in elementary school, um, what I, I would want to focus on, uh, again, I'm not a big fan of academic rigor. It seems a little ironic, and then I have a PhD from Berkeley. Um, but especially, you know, kids are being asked to grow up so fast, especially in the elementary school. I'm much more interested in a, in a place with warm, good, interesting teachers who have committed, and kids who are nice kids, good role models, and are not so challenging to the teacher that the teachers burn out. So, you know, if I'm visiting a school and it's worth doing, you don't have to need a, you don't need a PhD to do this, but peek into the classrooms. Do the kids look content? Are they involved? Are they engaged? Would you like to be in that class? And of course, not every teacher is going to be the best, and it doesn't have to be. Your kid's going to be all right. But generally, is the tenor of the school one where the kids seem happy to be there, content, engaged? Teachers seem to be happy to be there. It's interesting. And on the playground, sure, there's going to always be a bully or whatever, but is the general tenor on the playground kind? They could be very active and competitive and playing basketball or whatever, but is it generally a kind place? The kids seem to be getting along, enjoying each other. That's, in the end, as, cor as corny as it sounds, more than test scores. And although what I've just described probably correlates with high test scores. Um, but I'd be focusing more on geographical convenience. And very often, by the way, you can, even within the public, your public school district, get 
cues from among the different schools in your district. Uh, and if you don't get it because they say it's going to create racial imbalance, you can often find an appeal as long as you have a legitimate basis for the appeal that can sometimes work. You want to just you want your kid in a in a place that will be comfortable for him or her to spend six hours a day, five days a week for 178 school days a year. Uh, it's really important to, to you know to for school not to be a a, a, a an unpleasing place. Uh, if your kid, through your genetics and through your upbringing and through his peers, is reasonably capable, your kid will reasonably live up to his or her potential, even if the curriculum is not super rigorous. I'm not saying it should be laissez-faire, do whatever you want necessarily, but where the primacy is on, you know, pleasure. Uh, and that can include, by the way, the arts, which are very much getting undersold uh, today. Uh, I love to see these little elementary school productions of, uh, of plays. The kids are alive. They're beaming. My granddaughters are in plays, and it's was although the play was crappy to be honest, uh, they were so excited. And when you think back on your own elementary school education, if you had the opportunity to be in a play or in an orchestra or whatever, or you know, aren't those some of your 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 better moments? Or if you played sports, if there was a team at your, say, your middle school or whatever, and you were on the team. Aren't those the vivid memories? How much do you really remember of the uh, of the academic curriculum, let alone the ratcheted up Common Core curriculum today that, that focuses so much on, uh, on, really, it strikes me as arcana, especially the math. They really do make kids learn things like the, you know, calculating the area under the curve of a parabola in, like, the fifth grade. That does... That, that just seems like an elitist, misguided, university professor-derived curriculum of people, who are professors who are out of touch with what really matters, rather than being narcissistically involved in their own little narrow area of expertise. Um, I don't like that at all. Um, I want to talk a little bit about choosing your child's teacher. Um, Sometimes you can have some choice, and it's it's not necessary to do it every year. Usually, the difference between let's say there are two third grade teachers, between one and the other isn't that great. But once or twice during your child's elementary school years, say you know kindergarten through fifth grade, there may be a, a choice where one teacher is going to be far better suited to your child, either because they are more nurturing, or because your child is very bright and uh, and that teacher tends to pay more attention to bright kids. Or if it is an ability group class, which unfortunately, they, for political reasons, they are getting, uh, they've been pretty much eliminated. And now we put in special needs and gifted kids in the same class, new English learners, people just off the boat in the same class as native speakers of English to everyone's detriment. But it's beyond the scope of this to, to go into why. But I think if you put on your common sense hat, you'll realize that it's like if you were trying to learn Mandarin. Uh, and you had a choice between two classes and you were a beginner, one which was mixed ability and you had native speakers of, of Chinese and beginners uh, in one class, and the other, it was all beginners, I think you know you would learn more in a class of beginners and would not be intimidated by the native speakers of Mandarin who were speaking a mile a minute. So um, unfortunately, they, for political reasons, um, they have pretty much abandoned ability group classes, especially in the elementary and in, even in middle schools. Um, but there still are some teachers whose hearts and minds uh, are with brighter kids, which again, disproportionately, you who are watching this video are going to be in that category or listening to this this podcast um, or broadcast. So um, 
you know, in the, in that maybe once or twice during the elementary school years where it really could make a big difference, that's when I do I suggest you do make the one-time effort, you know, to, to go see the principal. Notice I'm not asking you to go and, you know, volunteer in your kid's classroom and run the bake sale and get active in the PTA. Today, so many parents, especially middle-class parents, are working full-time, and full-time is getting longer and longer, that it's unrealistic and unnecessary, for the reasons I outlined earlier, to get that involved in the school. But certainly, one of the most potent things you can do is, A, choosing the school, and we described that earlier, and then also, in those one or two years during the elementary school years where it might make a real difference, make an appointment with the teacher, make the case for why you think that Mrs. Johnson would be better than Mrs. Jones, um, or Ms. Jones for your uh, for your child in terms of academic needs, social needs, whatever. Uh, and it probably helps for you to have visited, at least peeked into both classes first, or just acknowledge that having spoken to a number of parents who had both of those teachers, it, it, it was clear to you that your child would be better served um, uh, in Mrs. Johnson's class. And, you know, there's no guarantees the world won't end if you don't get it, but that's a one-time effort that's worth doing. Um, uh, I briefly also want to talk about extracurriculars. Um, education, of course, is, uh, is only part of the equation. Two things I want to say. Actually, before extracurriculars, I do want to talk about hyperactivity. Um, there are studies that show that kids who are labeled, who are deemed by teachers and parents to be to have ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, about 80% of them are, quote, helped with Ritalin. Um, and I'm, I'm agnostic on this, and most of the literature says it's, you know, it's, it's, it's worth doing, at least worth a trial. But sometimes the reason for a kid's boredom, and now I am speaking personally, the reason for a kid's hyperactivity is the curriculum is boring, especially in a mixed ability class. If you've got a bright kid, the kid is stultified, sitting there as they go around the room, listening to each kid take his turn, struggling with the cat in the hat, while, while a bright your child... A brighter child could easily be reading more, you know, The, the Handmaid's Tale. Um, and so that's going to make kids who have a predisposition to be active uh, into hyperactive. And it strikes me as a, a cosmic injustice uh, to accede to a teacher's uh, recommendation that your child be put on Ritalin, which is an upper. And while I am aware that the medical research does not show long-term ne negative cardiovascular or other effects, um, it doesn't make sense to me, and I, the older I get, the more I rely on common sense that taking an upper for the rest of your life, or even for a decade, can be good for your longevity. Um, it also, uh, if you're going to stop by taking the drug to mask your native personality, it mitigates, it militates against your, um, your working to deal with your personality. I was fortunate to have come of age uh, at a time when Ritalin was not the norm, and labeling of hyperactivity was not the norm. And uh, so, you know, while I still remain somewhat hyperactive, I've, I, by not being on the drug, I didn't have that effect, whatever physiological effects of have taking essentially methamphetamine uh, constantly. I didn't have the sleep disturbances, I, I, whatever sequelae come from that drug. And I had to learn somewhat on how to manage my hyperactivity and not be a total reject. Um, so while some kids may well benefit from uh, from Ritalin uh, and its various derivatives, uh, do think three times. Uh, certainly, if you've got a bright child, and see if really the problem is the teacher's failure to accommodate to your kid's brightness. Um, briefly about extracurriculars. 
you know, there is this sometimes this notion that every kid needs to be exposed to, you know, music and soccer and art and ballet and gymnastics and whatever, and religious training. Look inward and, and really add, try to, one of the great rules of parenting in general is build, and, and in, for all of us, is build on strengths. Ask, you know, what is your child's natural tendency? Sure, give him a few piano lessons or whatever, especially learning to play by ear. If he's learning to play by ear naturally, that's great. Maybe continue it. But if it's painful and struggling and he or she is hating it, drop it. Build on strengths. The athletic kid should be doing more athletic stuff. The the graceful might do take ballet lessons or whatever. Um, build on strengths rather than remediate weaknesses. Um, you are listening to How to Do Life. I am Marty Nemco. You're listening to How to Do Life with Marty Nemco. You can email Dr. Marty Nemco with your comments and questions at m-n-e-m-k-o at comcast.net. Or for his articles and books, visit martynemco.com. That's m-a-r-t-y-n-e-m-k-o.com. Now back to How to Do Life. Thanks for staying with me. I am Marty Nemco. Um, I want to talk now. We've been we're talking education, uh, going from uh, from preschool, and we're going to end up in, all the way through graduate school. My best my best thoughts on the subject. Um, so now I want to talk about high school. It's uh, certainly less important to. Uh, it's perhaps more important again to to have your kid in a school with uh, his or her peers, intellectual peers, social peers, nice kids. Uh, where there at least is a significant component of kids that don't do drugs, that are nice kids. Uh, unfortunately, especially with the legalization of marijuana, uh, drug use is rampant, and it's of course especially devastating to the teenage brain, whose brain's not formed, it can create permanent deficits. Uh, in motivation, memory, IQ, even increased risk of, uh, of psychosis, uh, social anxiety for sure, and uh, increased risk of even a young person getting uh, a coronary event, you know, heart attack or a stroke. Um, but, and it's, that's pervasive in almost all schools now that recreational marijuana is legal, although not officially legal for high school kids. It gets, it filters down in the same way that alcohol uh, filtered down, to, filters down to children, uh, teenagers. Uh, but pick a school with good kids, that's everything. And where the, you know, again, I'm a nut about workload not being too rigorous. Um, yes, moderate work is fine, but I do think that there is much to be said for relieving room for extracurriculars like theater or sports or volunteerism. Uh, and simply, uh, you know, when I was a kid, the thing I enjoyed most was just hanging out and looking out at the clouds or watch the snow alight on the window, uh, watching cars go by and seeing if I could remember the brand names of them. You know, there is something to be said for a little dreaminess. It does not mean you're going to be a loser. I dare say that if you Google me, you'll see I've done rather a few things in my life. I've not been a failure. But there is room for this kind of um, gentle, gentle relaxation that's unstructured. I think we do tend to overstructure kids' time. And most kids don't need to be so scheduled for fear that they might get in trouble or whatever. You know, having allowing moderate freedom is a great thing for kids and the, and the analogy what the, the corollary of that is i hate when parents are prostituting their kids to get into a quote better college 
Ironically, the better colleges generally have worse teaching because the professors at the, quote, better colleges um, get their reputation as being better from their research productivity. And so the professors are hired and promoted largely based on their research productivity. And if their, first, their, if their best skill is research and they're rewarded for research on some cutting edge thing, you know, they're actually less likely to be a great teacher of undergraduates teaching um, what, what undergraduates need to know. And so this prostituting of uh, a child to, to get into a Berkeley or Stanford or let alone a second tier, less designer label, um, um, prestigious college, uh, you know, I, I won't mention, I'll mention some names like USC and NYU and, and Tulane and uh, Emory and all the rest of them that are not, that don't, I mean, names like Harvard and Princeton and Stanford are such door openers, and even Berkeley are such door openers that it sometimes can be worth holding your nose and getting a worse education because it does tend to open so many doors and the kids are so bright. But I also see kids prostitute themselves who have no chance of getting into a Stanford uh, so they can get into a USC and they'll get up at four in the morning to do crew where they really don't give a crap about doing crew, let alone getting up at four in the morning. Or they end up serving soup for, to the homeless because they know it'll, they think it'll look good on the application. And they'll take the SAT four times. That kind of prostituting yourself is not only a sad, you know, it's, it's wrong. It doesn't yield sufficient benefit to justify the effort. But it absolutely teaches you wrong, your kid the wrong lesson, that it's worth prostituting yourself for some goal. You know, uh, no one's saying you need to be it's my way or the highway, but um, a measure of moderation and not fully prostituting yourself for, for a designer label is one of the wiser parenting messages you can give to your kid. That said, there are some kids who get so swallowed up. And, and another example is, is taking all the uh, advanced placement courses. So many kids to try to look better to the colleges will load up their schedule with advanced placement classes, which are really hard. They're college-level classes. They're not meant for high school kids. And so the kid sits and struggles and struggles and maybe gets an A, maybe gets a B, whatever. But it's, it's, it's not age-appropriate. It's not necessary. A moderate workload. Focus more on your child if he or she has a chance trying to get into good teachers' classes. But, of course, it's less critical at the high school level because... At the high school level, you only have the teacher for one period, perhaps only for one semester. Um, that's what I want to say about high school. Colleges, I've already given you an intuition, an intimation of my views on that. I do believe that community college, even for very bright kids, is the most underrated option of all. It is the, not only is it the cheapest, but because um, they don't do research at community colleges, the faculty is hired and promoted based on how well they teach. They're, they're, the whole raison d'etre is teaching, teaching students, and there is a full range of, uh, of extracurricular activities. There are even are ways, if, you're, if your kid is really very bright, there are rigorous classes. Uh, you know, you can be sure that the philosophy class, even at a community college, is going to be uh, more rigorous, say, than the, uh, uh, the introduction to, uh, to art or introduction to uh, American culture. Um, so taking the more rigorous courses, there may be um, uh, leadership opportunities, there may be an honors program. So certainly starting at a community college can be one of the wisest things you can do for your child. And living at home, because so often 17, 18, 19-year-olds really are not that mature, and you put them away in a college with a, in a dorm where all the other kids are away from home for the first time. And indeed, they can be... Uh, uh, it can be a hothouse for bad behavior that you really don't want. 
uh, drug abuse, uh, unwanted pregnancies, uh, not studying, fooling around too much. Um, another year or two under your watchful eye, you know, generally doesn't hurt at all uh, and, may, and may help a lot while saving you a ton of money. Uh, and then your kid very often can transfer uh, to finish a bachelor's degree at a more prestigious school with that designer label, that career door opening, a designer label on the diploma that he or she couldn't have gotten into as a freshman. Um, a word about making the most of college. Um, it is, again, the same theme. Take the time to pick the good teachers. It's easier to do that at college because there's usually more choices. And, you know, on, on professor review websites, uh, as well as sometimes even on, uh, on the on-campus on the, on um, website, there can be professor reviews. Take those uh, great professors, especially those that have won the Campus Teaching Award winning, or winners of Campus Best Teacher Awards. You know, that can improve your education, of course. And don't focus on taking too many notes. Um, just take the notes on things that you don't know that are important important, ideally mainly for you, but also if you think the professor is emphasized, it'll be on the test. Um, do ask questions, not to show how smart you are, but and there really aren't dumb questions. Questions that enable you to get individualized instruction, that's, that's really valuable. Do come see professors during their office hours, ask questions, try to share some of your questions and concerns, not just about academics, professors are human beings too. If you don't like the professors, particular professors, there very often are, if you are in the dorms, there are resident assistants there who are trained to be good listeners. There's also counseling centers. Those things can be very helpful in keeping your head on straight and keeping you moving forward. Uh, and use the career services at the college. It's part of what you're paying for. Uh, start as a freshman. That's what I want to say about undergraduate uh, education. Now about uh, undergraduate. Now I want to talk just a bit and then we're going to end about graduate education. Uh, of course, there are some fields you have to pretty much have to go to graduate school to uh, uh, to be uh, licensed, whether it be a doctor, usually a lawyer, though in California, seven years of apprenticeship under a, uh, a licensed lawyer can allow you to take the bar without going to law school, but very few people have the discipline, self-discipline to do that. Uh, but in other fields, like um, in business, you know, an MBA is, you know, yes, employers, because it's a nice colorblind way to judge people, will often give brownie points to people who have an MBA. But they also quietly in their heart of hearts know how often that ed MBA education is theoretical or using case studies that deal with, you know, Walmart or Boeing that don't have a lot of re relevance to the day-to-day -day work in the companies or nonprofits that the that the employees working for. So it may often be wise to forego the hundred grand or whatever on uh, an MBA, for example, and instead attend what I call UU. Find a mentor or two, do some independent reading, even if it's just Google searched articles on what you care to learn about. Take notes on what you've learned that's important. Watch YouTube videos, go to a, uh, go to a professional conference, uh, uh, learn on the job, take notes, and then when you're applying for a job and competing, say, with MBAs, write a letter that that explains that you made a choice you thought you would learn more of substance rather than sizzle by doing your learning at UU rather than at State U uh, or Private U, and uh, maybe attach the, the uh, document that shows some of your major learning. And that can often be a way to save a lot of money and get more practical learning outside of graduate school. And um, I think that's all I really want to say. Um, you're hearing perhaps that my tone of voice is a little bit uh, more low-key than it usually is, and that's because I'm feeling sheepish in being so 
kind of not cheerleading about education. Uh, I wish there was more to cheer about. It is an incremental good thing, but it, it's not going to change the world, you know, how great an education you get or not. But hopefully some of these ideas will help you. In any event, um, I want to end the show, as I always do, by um, reminding you um, that uh, we find comfort among those who agree with us, growth among those who don't. For comments on the show or to consult with Marty Nemco, his email address is mnemko at comcast.net. How to Do Life is produced by Marty Nemco. Post-production, Mel Baker. Music from the Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening.